Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, church, remember what we've been talking about, okay? Now, last week, Pastor Sof delivered a message. I was out of town. But two weeks ago, um, we've been going through each of the church found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And what we've really been doing is see how they apply to our lives, making sure that we haven't fallen off in any wrong direction as the way the Lord, the way the Lord Jesus directs and discusses with the church. And if you recall, um, there were seven actual churches. Seven is the number of completion. And they're along this postal route, if you will, in Asia Minor. Now, if you're taking note, uh, Asia Minor is modern day Turkey. And what we've noted is that the messages, each message has a fourfold application. Let me give them to you really quick, okay? First, they're applied historically. Remember that? Historically, seven original churches, seven real cities in Asia Minor given in order of the actual Roman postal route. Now, they're also applied second, they're applied uh, practically. What do you mean, Ben? Well, they teach us a lot about, a lot about church life. Right? How do we behave in church and so forth? And you go, well, what do you mean? Well, almost every problem that we find in the word, in the churches, the difficulties and the challenges facing are addressed in each of these seven churches. In other words, how we live each and every day are addressed based on a church. Okay? You go, what do you mean? Well, for example, the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus had left its first love. Okay, didn't lose it, left it. And a lot of times Christians, they sort of go through the motions. They sort of continue on the path of ministry, but they somehow left their love for Jesus um, somewhere along the line. And the Lord says to the church of Ephesus, as well as to us, to repent. Remember those things. Remember where we have fallen and then return. Go back to him and be in love with Jesus more and more. And that's my encouragement to you. So we can see a lot of practical application. Number three, we see that they're applied they're applied personally. The letters apply to us individually as believers, and that's why the N has the same exhortation. He who has an ear, of course we all have ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But how much more important do we allow the Word of God to read us? And as we go through, we can go, okay, this is kind of where we need to be. Fourth, and lastly, um, they're, they're, they're applied prophetically. Jot that down, prophetically. Why? Because like I mentioned earlier, seven is the number of completion. And what we have looking is a complete picture of the church age. Each church represents a certain stage, if you will, in church history, starting with Ephesus, representing the early church or what we would call the apostolic church. And ending with next week's church when we talk about Laodicea. That's our final church. And what we see is they move through the difficulty uh, of different periods in church history. We see all the way from the beginning, it's going to go all the way up. Like, like for example, tonight is going to end around 1925. So about 100 years ago is the Philadelphia church. And of course, we can see each of those letters and be seen in four of those applications. Well, tonight, that brings us, if you will, to our sixth church. It's the church of Philadelphia. Now, if you're taking note, remember, Philadelphia means brotherly love. 
brotherly love. We, we have a, a, a city in Philadelphia, but, but it means brotherly love. This, is, this was a city and a church in Asia Minor, which was modern-day Turkey. What we need to realize is that it was not a perfect church. It wasn't a perfect church. But it shows us the mark of a faithful church. A strong, healthy body built up God's way. Well, Ben, there are no perfect churches, and you're exactly right. There are no perfect churches, and I'll tell you why. Because there are no perfect people at all. And churches are made up of people. Now, remember Jesus described people. How did he describe them? He described them as poor and brokenhearted, captive, blind, and oppressed. So there is no such thing as perfect people. However, Philadelphia was a strong and noteworthy church. Jesus had no condemnation for this church, had no condemnation. So with that as our introduction, okay, we know exactly where we're going. Um, I want to give you a four-point outline. A four-point outline. I have entitled this message, ready, jot this down, Bodybuilding God's Way bodybuilding God's way. And you go, how so? Well, let me give you the four points I want you to see. Number one, okay? The first mark of a faithful church is, ready? Submission to God's authority. Submission to God's authority. Coming under and saying, I'm submitting to God's authority. That's the first mark. Number two, the second mark of a faithful church is opportunity, Opportunity. Opportunity to serve the Lord, to share the Lord. We're going to see that in our text. The third mark, guys, um, is uh, of a faithful church is revival. Revival. We want to see that which was dead revived again. And of course, the fourth mark of a faithful church is one with a future. So you have submission to God's authority. You have opportunity. You have revival. And you have a faithful church has a future. Okay, now stay with me, okay? Because I need to give you some background so you understand exactly why Jesus would present himself the same way. The city of Philadelphia was known, first of all, as basically for all... Now, now this is not something you want to brag about. All the earthquakes it had in it, okay, Although it was a city of brotherly love, I mean, it was like earthquake central. Uh, in fact, the city was destroyed by an earthquake in 17 AD, and really along with Sardis and other cities in that locality, okay? Most of the others um, recovered pretty quickly from the disaster, but the aftershocks there in Philadelphia, uh, they, they continued for quite a number of years. So, so it was, it was just really like, man, the people, <laughs> they, they were unsettled a lot in the city. But they, they would feel the shaking and they would feel like they had to flee. And so again, remember, Philadelphia was a, was, was earthquake central, you know, kind of like, you know, maybe California when you feel, if you lived in California and you've kind of felt that earthquake, you kind of go, yeah, that's kind of where we are. But it was, it was even more, um, prevalent there in Philadelphia. Another very interesting note on Philadelphia was its trade route, okay? They had, check this out, they had what was called an open door of commerce, okay? Because of where the city was located, 
people would travel up the postal route and they would come in there and they would do big business in Philadelphia, okay? Because of its commerce, that was the place they wanted to go. We had to go to Philadelphia. People from all around the city would know that they had an open door of commerce. I find that's interesting. Now, it's also important. Well, Ben, why is it important? Here's why. Because Jesus speaks to the church in a way that his message would sink into their heart. You see, the people would need to respond, if you will, almost if they had a visual aid. And that's what Jesus did. See, the city also was changing its name, and it was not uncommon when an emperor or a Caesar would come in, they would often change the name of the city to reflect their leadership. This city, the one we're going to study, this church, um, it was named after the king of Pergamos, Adelus Philadelphus. That's who built the city, and where we get the city of Philadelphia. But this city was a strong and vibrant city, and so was the church. Like Smyrna, the church of Smyrna, Philadelphia did not receive any rebuke from Jesus. Jesus only had great things to say about it. Can you imagine? I often put myself in that position of the pastor of the church getting a letter from the Lord, going to the mailbox, opening, this is from Jesus, and seeing all the wonderful things that, that the Lord says about us. And that would be the church of Philadelphia. Jesus only had great things to say about this church. Now, remember what I said earlier. There's no such thing as a perfect church, but there are good ones, but no perfect ones. You understand that. Why? Because when we look around, we see imperfect people, okay? And what we need to understand in our hearts, guys, is that is that there are no perfect people. And I don't know why in, in the world we come to church and we, we sort of judge and we think, well, this person should be doing this. And yes, we should be growing in the Lord and we should be maturing in the Lord. But in no way are we ever reaching perfection status, right? There, um, we all have flaws, okay? We all have imperfections <laughs> and we all make mistakes. And I know um, you can type in there, amen, right? Because that's exactly what they are. And I was thinking of mistakes. I was thinking of the imperfections um, that people have. And, and um, I came across, and I found this interesting, I came across what we call some uh, bulletin bloopers. Bulletin bloopers. These were some announcements in real church bulletins, okay, which they had a misspelled word or they left a comma out. And what it did is it changed the message slightly. Let me give you some examples. You ready? Here's one that was in a church bulletin. It said, don't let worry kill you. Let the church help. Okay, so that's an imperfection, right? Don't let worry kill you. We'll let the church help. Here's another one. Thursday night, prayer and potluck and medication to follow. Okay, instead of meditation, they were offering medication after their potluck. So, okay, that's probably why we don't have potlucks. Okay, here's another one. It says, remember the many who are sick of our church and community. Now, I hope none of you are sick of our church. See, just a little bit, and it turns into a flaw, a faux pas, a real blooper. Remember the many who are sick of our 
church. Now, of course, that we can relate to that. Not so much they're sick of our church, but they're sick. We have lots of people that are sick that we are definitely praying for. Let me give you another one. Let me give you another one. For those who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. And apparently, I guess there are people who had children and didn't know they had children. How about this? The rosebud on the pulpit this morning is to announce the birth of David Allen Beltzer, the sin of Reverend and Mrs. Beltzer. Instead of the son, they had a, they had a faux pas. They had a blunder. They had a blooper. It was the sin of Reverend and Mrs. Beltzer. Finally, this last one, it says, at the evening service, the sermon topic will be, what is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. Okay, so without the commas, um, you can kind of see what they were trying to go for. Now, those are, if you will, innocent misprints. Okay, they make us chuckle. But here's what I want you to see. They actually point out a fundamental truth. Really? Namely, guys, that we all have bloopers. We all have faults. We all have problems. Okay, there are no perfect people. So please don't look at the Church of Philadelphia as saying, oh, well, that was the perfect church. It wasn't. It was a good church. It was a faithful church, but it had a lot of people just like you and me. And I am so thankful that God loves imperfect people. And he really loves mess ups. And he really loves just strangies. And he really he just loves all of us. And I'm so, so, so thankful for that. Okay, so the people in the Church of Philadelphia, they were, they were strangies, they were mess-ups, they were, they, they were faux pas, they, they, had, they were, had imperfection, but it was a solid, it was a solid church. Of the seven churches, now listen to me, Calvary, of the seven churches that Jesus wrote to, I think this is the one that we would desire to be most like. This is the one we want to strive to be. And you go, why? Well, let's take a look at that and see why it was such a great church. Now, here's what I want you to know. Four things about this church that gives us insight into why they were solid and they were faithful. Now, as we look at the church, ask the Lord to show you your heart so that we can grow to be solid believers. Solid believers make up a solid church. Okay, so if you're taking note, and remember, you'll get more points in heaven if you take notes, okay? That's that's just the rules. I don't make them up, but you're going to get more. Okay, so jot this down. The first mark of a faithful church, here we go, submission to God's authority. Look with me in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord Jesus writes, as Paul is, is saying this, I mean, Paul, sorry, as John is saying this, he says, and to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens up and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Okay? That's the very first thing. The the pastor of the church to the messenger of the church at Philadelphia, right? These things. So he opens up his letter. And he says, these things says he who is holy and true. He who has the key of David, who opens, remember, Philadelphia, open door of commerce, and no one shuts and shuts 
and no one opens. The first thing we need to see, guys, looking at our text here, is we need to see that Jesus reveals himself as the one who is holy, who is holy. Holy speaks of the name of God, okay? God often referred himself as the Holy One of Israel. Now, here's a, here's a general observation, okay? The term holy, the term holy is used 57 times in the Bible, and it refers to God, You understand, Jesus just declared himself what? He who is holy. You go, Ben, what are you trying to say? Well, you can jot this down in your Bible. If you're not afraid to mark up your Bible, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus here is declaring that he is God. He is God. Okay, not only is he holy, but it refers to God 57 times. So Jesus is God. Last night in our discipleship, we had that same discussion. We had the same discussion about Jesus and how people are trying to take our Jesus out of everything. As a matter of fact, they're trying to take our Jesus out of prayer. You can pray to God, whoever your God is, but don't mention the name of Jesus. Don't pray in Jesus' name. Well, Jesus is God, and we found out that he is the only way to get to heaven. We have to go through Jesus to get to heaven. When God sees me, he sees Jesus, and that's my ticket to heaven. You understand that, okay? So Jesus just declared himself to be God. Now, that's by way of application. Here's the way we can apply it to our lives. What, what did Jesus say to you and I concerning being holy? Well, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.16, he says, because it is written... Be holy, for I am holy. So he calls you and me to be holy. He calls out us to be holy as well. He says, because it is written, not only must we submit to God's commands, but we must seek, listen to me, we must seek to imitate his holiness. I can't tell you how many times throughout my life I have fallen so, so short of God's holiness. And yet I strive to walk in that holiness. Because he says, he says, I am holy. I am holy. It is written, be holy. Ben, Ben, be holy. Why? For I am holy. The second thing he tells us is that he is true. Did you guys see that? He's true, right? And you can jot that down. Look at look at verse 7 again. Today he says, do these things who says who he who is true. Now, if you have a pencil handy, you can circle that off to the side. You can write, it speaks of that which is authentic. Authentic and genuine. Okay? With everything coming across the board, a lot of fake news, a lot of fake everything. I know that the Lord Jesus is true. He is truth. He is authentic. He is genuine. And what I love about my God is he's going to tell you everything you need to know, and he's not going to lie to you. And you can take that to the bank. Everything else, you're not sure. Man, you're not sure. As a matter of fact, today, I read something, I mean, just on the Internet, just on, just through MSN, okay, it it said the CDC said that you should probably wear two masks. Okay, in order to not catch the coronavirus, you should wear double mask. And then it turns around and says, hey, if you have the vaccine, you don't need to quarantine. And then it says, well, no, you should. And it's all this stuff. 
But I, I, I just come back to the word of God that's true. He's holy and he's true. And while there's only one Jesus, okay, what we need to understand is that people have created their own versions of Jesus. That's what they've done. As a matter of fact, Paul writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4, he says this, For if he who comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, okay, not, not the Jesus of the Bible, they come in and go, hey, now I've seen versions of this, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting preachy on you. <laughs> I've seen versions of this where, where people will make up their own Jesus to satisfy their own fleshly desires. Well, see, me and Jesus, we, we have a, we, we have an arrangement. And so I can go out and do whatever I want. And he says, no, 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 no. Listen, people will make up their own versions to appear. Their, their fleshly desires are where they want to go or what they want to accomplish. Paul said, for he, for if he comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, he says, you may well put up, you're accepting it. Somebody's coming in going, hey, listen, listen, this is, this is not the Jesus of the Bible. This is, this is, hey, you, this is just a better Jesus. And, and we talked about that. Do you guys remember, do you guys remember the church at Thyatira? Do you remember that? I mean, boy, boy, I wish we had time that we could get into that. But you, you think about Jezebel coming in and adding doctrine. And then we see, um, there's just, there's just all kinds of stuff where we can add to Jesus. Well, I can do this and I can add indulgences and I can do this and I can do that. That's the Jesus I serve. I don't know what, I serve the Jesus of the Bible. And he says, number one, he is holy. So Ben, you need to you need to work on being holy, yes, sir. He says, and he's true, he is authentic, he's genuine. Now, what we need to remember is the true church is under the authority of the true Jesus as he is revealed in the Bible. You see, there are other Jesuses out there today, but none of them are true. You go, what do you mean? Well, there are other religions, other Jesuses, like, like, for example, Unitarians. Here's what they say. Jesus is no more or less divine than you and I. So, so, so Jesus was not divine, or he was no more, no less than, than you and I. When it comes to the Jehovah Witnesses, here's what they believe. Jesus is God's first created creature, otherwise known as Michael the Archangel. And we see Christian scientists say it's irrelevant whether or not Jesus ever existed. This is what they say. It's the concept of Jesus that's important. And so we see a lot of Jesuses out there, but it's, but we gotta stick to the Jesus of the Bible. That Jesus was God's only son, his only begotten son, who came to earth 2,000 years ago to die on the cross to say it, to set us free. He's the only one. He is the only one through the power of his Holy Spirit that can transform our heart from the inside out when we come under submission to him. Well, you go, Ben, 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 there's a lot of religions out there. You were mentioning some. How do we, how do we, how do we tell the difference? Well, basically just ask him. You go, what do you mean? Ask him. Go, go say, hey, who do you say that Jesus is? 
Tell me who Jesus is to you. Is he the Messiah, the Meshach, the Savior? Is he God in human flesh? Well, he's not God in human flesh. Is he the Holy One of Israel? Is he the one the scriptures speak about? Just ask him. Ask him. And you'll know the truth. According to Acts chapter 18, verse 28, it says this, For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ. Okay? So, these were a church. This is the church. Let's look at it again, guys. What did he say? This was... Submission, they were submitted unto God's authority. That's where they were. And so we see all of that going in and going down. Second, notice, they were a church under God's, under the authority of God, okay? This is, this is where they were. Jesus, again, reveals himself as the one who holds the keys, okay? Remember? This speaks of authority. Notice what he says. He says, he who has the keys of David, guys, verse 7, he who has the keys of David. This is actually a reference from Isaiah 22, 20 through 25. It's a passage that's given to a man named Shimna, who's the servant of Hezekiah. The key, he's kind of the chief of staff, okay? And Shebna was able to open doors and shut doors that led into the treasury of a king. Okay, unfortunately, it was a power that he abused, right? So Jesus references that. Now, let me just, let me just stop right here for a second. Let me just take a quick minute. Remember, um, Nero, if he were to read this, he would think John is crazy. Okay, because he's he's thinking he's nuts, but but people who understood the Old Testament would see it very clearly because of Shebna, because of the passage of Isaiah. Okay, and so he has to write this way so the message could get out. Because if not, he's on the island of Patmos, and 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 all Nero said was that John, ooh, he's cocoa for cocoa, he's cuckoo for cocoa, but he just doesn't. He does. What do you mean? What is he talking about? So John, under the power of the Holy Spirit, says, "No, no, no. Those of you who know the Old Testament would definitely know um, what's going on." So the first mark of a great church is a church that lives under the authority of the one who is holy. Can I get an amen? One who is genuine and authentic and true and who has rightful authority, the key to the kingdom of God and the blessings of God. You guys with me? Okay, you're going, okay. Okay, I got it, got it. Now, let's let's talk some application. Let's talk some application, okay? So the first mark of a Christian, you and I, should be that we have a life under the authority of the one who is holy. Okay? The church came under that authority, but the application for us today, okay, Lord, we're going to do a heart check. We're going to do a heart check. Um, I want my life. My life should, should, my life should be a life under authority of the one who's holy, genuine, authentic, and true. My life should should um, be under authority of the one who holds the key of the kingdom, right? The blessings of God. And you go, Ben, why did you 
Why did you mention should so many times? Well, the implication is, is on should because it is that some won't. It should. We go, mm, mm. That's what our life should be. Lord, am I living a life under your authority, your holiness, your authentic, your truth? Lord, is my life under the authority of the one who has the keys of the kingdom of God and the blessings of God? That's where we want to bring our lives to, okay? Be careful we don't get off that path. That's verse 7. Now, it goes on in verse 8. And verse 8 is the second mark of a faithful Christian. You ready? Jot this down. Opportunity. Opportunity. You see, this was a church. Now, check it out. This was a church with with a divine opportunity. Look at verse 8. He says, see, okay, see, I know your works. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut for I have for you have little strength and have kept my word and I have denied my name. Okay, so I know your works, but we also see it is one um, basically with divine opportunity. How so? Well, if you're an underliner, go ahead and underline the, the part which says, see, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. That's important. And you go, why? Because when he references an open door, the first thing that's going to come to the Church of Philadelphia is they had an open door of commerce. So they understood that from a very visual, a very real um, um, way of life. Okay, They would know what that meant. But Jesus says, now, I have set before you guys an open door, but it's a divine opportunity. Why? Because here, the open door, it, rever- it refers to evangelistic. He says, man, listen, you guys have an opportunity, ready, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the open door. You're going to have a divine opportunity to share my love, my salvation with the world. As a matter of fact, if you're taking note, Paul, as he's writing to the church at Colossae, chapter 4, verse 3, it says, the apostle Paul asked the people of Colossae, if they would pray that God would open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Pray that we'll have a opportunity to talk about Christ. That's what Paul's 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 saying. <laughs> Man, I'm looking for opportunities. I'm looking for an open door. As a matter of fact, when he's writing to the church um, at Corinth in his second letter, chapter 2, verse 12, he says, furthermore, He reminds them, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord. It was a door that only Jesus had opened. You guys with me? Yeah, you're shaking your Bible. You're making notes. Amen, amen, amen. See, a great door was open, but to do what? To do what? Okay? To preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. This is a door that Jesus is speaking about here in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. The door is one that Jesus opens to us. It's an opportunity for us to go out and preach the gospel. 
Okay? We also know, and you can just jot this down, look it up later, 1 Corinthians 16.9, we read where, where Paul said, For a great and effective door has opened to me. He says, but yet there are many adversaries. Okay? There are many adversaries. So Paul says, man, a, a door was open. It was so cool. But you know what? There were adversaries. Okay? The open door was there, but there was op- opposition. Now, I bring this up because I want you guys to know, I mean, that's a good thing to note, okay? Because sometimes we think that an open door is something we walk through and everything is a breeze. Oh, well, God opened this door. This is amazing. And the whole world falls down at our feet and say, wow, you're here with the gospel. Thank you. How can I be saved? That's amazing. We think that's an open door, but that, but there are open doors, but not without its opposition. Not without its opposition. I remember, gosh, it was 17 years ago. We had an open door. And I mean, I wish I had the time to share how God opened the door for us to come to Lubbock. Okay, for us to come to move out here, the job, the way everything fell into place. But it wasn't like there was a group. There wasn't like there was 80 people or 90 people going, man, where have you been? We've been waiting for you to come start a Calvary Chapel. We started a Calvary Chapel, and I remember walking through a Christian bookstore here in town, and I had my Calvary Chapel hat, and I was thinking, man, somebody's going to recognize it and be like, yeah, you're, you're, and, and, and nobody did. And there was opposition. You're going to start what? Do we really need another church? And, and, and there was an open door. We're here. We're here. And what people don't know about Calvary Chapel Lubbock is that, is that many years, even several years prior to us coming, other people had come into the city and tried to start a church, try to plant a church. It didn't take, it didn't work, and, and God had opened that door for me to come in and pastor and my family and all of y'all to join. But the point is, is that, is that an open door doesn't always mean it's going to be a cruise control 55 down a four lane highway. A lot of times it's going to, there's going to be opposition. And I got to be honest with you. Um, I got to be honest with you. I just closed out my notes. So let me bring them back up real quick. Okay. There we go. Um, Even today, 17 years later, there's opposition for teaching the Word of God. There's opposition in people. There's opposition in, in whatever's happening. And so, man, I, I just, we just got to keep and in, in, in see, right? Um, because an open door, remember, an open door, even though there is, there is an effective open door for each one of us, um, it will almost always have an opposition. And you go, why? Everybody say why, okay? I can't hear you, but we'll just say you said why. Um, Satan doesn't want to see people come to Christ. Satan doesn't want to see people come to Christ, and um, so there's always going to be an opposition, okay? I can't tell you how many people in the last 17 years that have come to Christ. Now, here's what I want you to do. Don't get discouraged, saints. Don't get discouraged by the opposition, okay? More importantly, be excited about that open door. Be excited. Okay? So, the Lord opens the doors. He also shuts doors. Okay? There's opportunities that we thought we were going to take, and the Lord shut him. I, I, I think of when Paul was in Asia, back in Acts chapter 16. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. That was a shut door. Okay? And what I need to be careful 
What I need to be careful about is that we're not trying to knock down the open doors that God has shut. Okay, when when the doors are shut, we're not like, let me kick this through. Let me kick this through. And uh, uh, we got to just be careful. Here's the key. Okay, if you're taking note and you have somewhere in your Bible or you have your little notes up. Remember, the key is no striving, no striving. Okay, striving. Why? That's always a good indication to me that God is in something where there'll be the the absence of striving. Okay, Um, we got to be careful. Okay. That doesn't mean there won't be hard work, but it's going to be the absence of strife. God's opened the door. You can kind of go through, and you can see God do that. There's a big difference, church. Jot this down. There's a big difference between hard work and striving to make something happen. That's what we got to wait on. So you go, well, Ben, what's what's the application? Well, the, I think, guys, that the that the Lord would have us note today. You go, what's that? Um, there's a lot of open doors out there. There's a lot of open doors. And, and what I would challenge you is, is to be looking for them. In other words, we need to be praying, uh, Jesus, open the doors of opportunity. Okay, open the doors of opportunity. Open our eyes to, to the doors that you have put before us. Jesus said that his desire for us as a church and individuals, if you recall, was to bear fruit. By this, the Father is glorified. Why? To bear much fruit. The way to do that is to boldly walk through open doors that God has placed in our path on a daily basis, right? You go, well, Ben, what, do you, what, what, like, what are some open doors? Help me out here, Ben. Okay, well, here's the thing we need to understand. Every friendship that you have is an open door for the gospel. Every friendship you have is an open door to minister God's love. And it doesn't take very much to send out a text to a buddy or a friend or somebody that God's put in your heart and say, hey, man, I'm thinking about you. You okay? Is there anything I can do? Hey, you want to grab a cup of coffee? You want to you hang out? Every friendship. You go, well, yeah, my friends don't know Jesus. They will. It's an open door. We have to have an open door. Look for it. Number two, every job you go to is an open door. Every job you go to, right? And what I like to tell people is your job is a mission field, okay? We, we, we as believers think, well, I, I, I've got this job. I don't know if I really like it. And, and, and yet you're a believer, so God is directing you, and that's your mission field. There are people there who need to see the love of Jesus in your life. Number three, as a matter of fact, the places you go tomorrow are places of open door. They're places where I could never go. Okay? As a matter of fact, here's the thing. Um, the church is more than a building, guys. The, the church is, is a place where you learn, you come in here, you grow, but then you take it out there. Every place you go, cause I can't, I can't be over there. And you go, well, Ben, my friend won't come to church. He won't come to a church building. Well, then you take the church to him. You know, March, they said, hey, we're gonna shut down all the churches in an effort to, um, flatten the curve. Right? And they shut us down and we went online. But what was really cool is the church stepped out of the box and it started ministering to people. We had a worship service in our driveway at the beginning of, of spring and, and we invited all the neighbors. 
The church was, was going door to door, knocking on places and saying, hey, do you need food? Are you okay? And we didn't know the severity of the, of the pandemic, but, but we should continue to do that. It's an open door. It's an open door. And again, um, think about this. Right now, be thinking about people that you and I may never see, may never be able to talk to. I may never be able to, but you'll be there. You'll be there to share. And it's the coolest thing. It's open doors. Now, think about your job for a minute. Think about your job. Some people go, man, I hate my job, right? Now, you might say, I hate my job because you're working at home and you don't like who you work with. And you're the only one there. That's that's just because Mike Shaw's here, so that's just for him. But no, uh, but think about your job, right? You go, man, I don't like my job. But maybe there's somebody at your job. Maybe there's somebody at your job, man. And... And it's an open door for you to minister. And what's sad, church, what's sad at, at the times is that, man, sometimes we don't, we don't see that those doors are opened. And we aren't looking, we're not looking for those doors to begin with. And the job is really, it really stinks. And, and, uh, well, I wonder why, why we don't look for that. I, I just, I wonder why we're not looking for open doors. Okay, permission to step on toes, because it's my toes too, but uh, permission to step on toes. I, I think a couple of reasons. I think a lot of times um, we go through life and, and, and we're believers and we're fired up for the Lord and then something happens and, and I, sometimes we get real self-focused, okay, self-interest. And that's probably the chief reasons. Well, it's about me, you know. It's about we're, we're preoccupied with how much we don't like the job or we don't like our boss or, or whatever it might be that we forget and we're sort of blinded to the opportunities that God's given us, the doors that are open. That's, that could be one. Some people never see um, the needs of others because they're so focused on themselves. And most, most scholars call this the mirror mentality, the mirror mentality, okay? And all they see is their problems in their life, and they, they forget to see, oh, other people are, are struggling a little bit worse than me. Um, Americans, guys, they used to say, give me liberty, and today they just say, give me. But not us Christians, okay? Not us Christians. Let's be looking out for the interest of others, Let's be, let's just be praying. I, I go through the same thing you two guys, I do. I go through my day and I go, oh, you know, maybe I should have texted so and so. Oh, maybe I should have, and, and, and I get preoccupied even in the ministry. But, but we should pray for an open door to be able to minister to people and to be able to say, you know, hey, you know what? And, and I think of Joseph. Do you guys think of Joseph? You remember Joseph is in prison? He was in a difficult place. Right? He's unjustly accused. We just went through our Genesis study, man, and I'm thinking about Joseph, and it's like, wow. But you know what? God was with him, and he kept his eyes on the Lord. And many, you'll, you'll have a lot of teachings that say, dare to be a Daniel. But Joseph, Joseph in prison kept his eyes on the Lord. Joseph is a great example of what it means to be others-oriented. Joseph is a great example of, of what Jesus is. Was, I mean, he's a strong type of Jesus. I think about walking the streets of Jerusalem. I think about Old City Jerusalem and, and, and Jesus walking in his eyes of compassion, just looking at you and, 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 and really looking in your soul and, and, and asking you what's wrong to where you couldn't be like, I'm fine, but really, and uh, we got to have eyes that are open. Listen, saints, listen, um, we all have choices. 
Um, when it comes to open doors and shut doors, one, we can see the hand of God in it, and we can rest in Him. We see God opened this door. Amen? Amen? Um, two, we can focus on ourselves and become what? Well, we can get depressed because we're focused on the inside. We can get down. We can be hurt. We can be restless. I choose door number one, if you will, no pun intended. But I choose door number one because I want to I want to see the hand of God and I want to look at those open doors. There are times, guys, in my life as a as an evangelist that I'm going, man, that's an open, I'm looking for an open door. And God doesn't open those doors. And I don't understand it. It's a perfect opportunity. But uh, be looking for those doors. Now, this is not the problem of everyone. Others see opportunity. Right? It's not the problem. They're not, it's not that they don't see it, but I'll tell you what does. Something creeps in called fear, and it keeps them from going through that open door. All right? Anybody with me? Yeah? Uh, right? They might be afraid that they won't know what to say. Oh, man, if I walk through this door, I won't, I won't know what to say. I won't know how to... What if they ask me a really hard question biblically? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look like, oh, my goodness, oh, oh. And they keep forgetting that God is faithful to me us in those situations. If that's an open door, oh, I don't know, we get really, really afraid. But remember, God is there. And sometimes it's not even fear of rejection or failing that keeps us from going through the door. You go, it's not. No. You ready? It might, might be a fear of having our comfort zone invaded because we make ourselves vulnerable. How about that? Your comfort zone invaded. Guys, we need to look, look, look to Jesus. Man, love those who rejected him. To the Christian, God simply says, no comfort zones allowed. No comfort zones allowed. Opportunity. That's, that was a mark of that strong church in Philadelphia. Let me give you the third one. Okay, the third mark of that faithful church of Philadelphia, guys, was revival. Again, look at verse 8, okay? Here the Lord gives us the reasons for the open doors. He says, I know your works. I know your works. Amen, guys. I've set before you an open door, right? We saw that, and no one can shut it. Amen. He says, but you have little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name, okay? First and foremost, underline little strength, okay? Now, if the Lord wrote me a letter about the Calvary Chapel Church in Lubbock, and he said, man, I, I know your works. I would be stoked. Yes, God sees that we're doing something. He says, but you have little strength. I'd go, wait, 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 what does that mean? Little strength. Well, if you have a pencil handy, the Greek word is micros, and, it, and it's where we get our English word microscope, or, you know, just, just micros. It means small in quantity, small in number, small in dignity. He goes, you have, you have very small strength. You see, the reason Jesus has opened the door of opportunity to them, which no man could ever possibly shut, is because we're a small in number, small in quality, small in dignity. Now, it seems like a paradox, doesn't it? It's just like blowing your mind. Why? Because our tendency is to think that Jesus is always looking for the strongest or the most gifted. That's who Jesus is looking for. But more often than not, listen to me. He's looking for just the weakness so he can be the strength. And that's what Jesus wants to bless. 
I mean, consider Abraham, right? Abraham defeated the armies of these four kings, these 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 five kings, I mean this coalition, Abraham defeats them. Think about Gideon, right? Army of three hundred I mean, he defeated an army so vast, the Bible says they were like this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Gideon? Uno, dos. Okay, how are we going to do this, Lord? And the Lord just does incredible things. I think about Elijah. Think about Elijah. One man stood against the 450 prophets of Baal. And I think Jesus. Jesus took 12 nobodies. And he changed the entire world world. Why? And I'll tell you why, guys. Jot this down, because they had God on their side. They had God on their side. I think we're missing the boat. I think we, we need to be the most intelligent, most, you know what? We just need to have people that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit moving forward, because that weakness is what made Philadelphia suitable instrument for his power. This is why the Lord says, He says, man, you have little strength, but remember, strength in the Greek is dunamis. So you still have power. You still have dynamite power. It's little, but that's okay, because I can work with that. I can work with that. My question is, little strength, okay? Uh, Micro dunamis. Why does God work this way? Well, Paul gives us some insight when he writes his letter to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, But we have this treasure in this earthen vessels, that is excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's the whole point. The point is, man, when I am at my weakest, that's when God is at, is at his strongest. And is at his strongest, and I'm at my strongest. You see how that works? It's amazing. And the beauty of all of this is that people goes, man, I know you're weak. And God gets the glory. God gets the glory. He alone gets the glory. And people just go, how did that happen, man? How did that happen? Well, listen, we must remember that God uses the weak things and that God actually chooses to use the weak things. And that means that God can use you and he can use me every single day of the year. I love it. Verse 8 also tells us, guys, moving on, why they had little strength and why they were used, right? You remember? I'll tell you why they were used and why they had strength. You ready? Because it says they kept his word and they hadn't denied his name. They kept his word. They were not ashamed. They were not ashamed of the word of God, okay? They were a loyal church and a faithful church. Even though the world seemed to be running all different ways, the church of Philadelphia said, we're going to stick to the word of God, okay? The word of God. Now, let me just let me just give you some background, okay? Because I want you to see this was a period in church history that was represented by a church in a period known as the Great Awakening, okay? So although although the Church of Philadelphia encompassed a real church, we talked about that earlier, it was also known as the Great Awakening, okay? And it was a beautiful illustration of how God can use this type of church, and it actually started from the period about 1750 
all the way to 1925. And it was a great time, God, where he opened doors and there was missionaries and, and the Holy Spirit fell and it, it was just, it was just amazing. It was amazing during these times. Let me give you some example, guys. And I give you these examples to fire us up. Like William Carey of England, he had this vision of a, a need in India and he eventually went out there and he planted the gospel and this great work in that country. God opened that door. Robert Muffet and his famous uh, son-in-law, you guys know David Livingstone, he went to Africa and they did marvelous works there. God opened that. The American missionary Adon and Emran Judson went out to Burma and pioneered a work in that country. Hudson Taylor went to, mis- to, to, to minister in inland China. These are all visions that God... Listen, we got to get the gospel out. It was also a time of emergence of the great evangelist whose names that we all remember, George Whitfield, D.L. Moody, right? John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Finney. These are guys who, who man, they, they had this vision. It was a great open door, the great awakening. And, and my prayer would be that we had, we'd have one more great awakening before the Lord. That we would have this incredible open door to share the gospel. And really through the, 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 the ways of media, through, through being able to podcast, to being able to get the, the message out is a way that we can do it. And I think God's going to do an incredible work. We just got to, we just got to be still, be still, right? Let me ask you this. Did you know that during the time of revival taking place in the United States during ministry, ministry's ministry, there were actually places, okay? So, so Finney, Charles Finney just has this, I mean, huge revival, this great awakening. And there were actually places, guys, this is true, where the entire police department and precincts had nothing to do. All they could do is form singing quartets because there were no crimes being committed. People were getting saved. And when I say saved, they were getting saved for real. Okay? There wasn't this like, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm a Christian. They were getting saved and they were, they weren't, they weren't committing any crimes. Okay? There were actually judges who were considering at this time resigning because their judicial seats because they had no cases to try. And that wasn't because somebody passed legislation forbidding Immorality, okay? No, it was because criminals' lives were being touched by the Lord. Listen, when you see God's Holy Spirit works in people in area, change happens. Change happens. It's resulting in godliness that can influence. Let's start. Let's start. It's going to influence your family first. And then it's going to influence your neighborhood. It's going to influence your city. It's going to influence your state. I'm telling you, it, it could eventually influence our country. One person. How many of you out there watching me right now, listening to me podcast would say, man, I want to be a world changer. I want to be a world changer. Well, we have to do what the evangelist Gypsy Smith said. He wanted revival so bad, and what they told him to do is draw a circle in a room, kneel inside the circle, and pray, God, revive everything in that circle. We've done that here at Calvary, man, but, but do it. Revive everything. Why? Because it begins with us as individuals. A, a faithful church 
starts with faithful individuals. It starts with faithful individuals who, who see opportunities and who say, man, that's an open door. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk in that. I'm going to walk in that. All the great people and events and the movements of the Great Awakening were foreshadowed, listen, by the Church of Philadelphia there in Asia Minor. Okay, fourth. Fourth mark. We're getting done here. Thank you for staying with me. Um, The fourth mark of a faithful church is they had a future. Look at verse 9. He says, Indeed, I will make those the synagogue of Satan say say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Guys, if you're taking note number one, he says their enemies, our enemies are going to be humbled. Our enemies are going to be humbled. Where does it say that, Ben? I'm not sure if it says that in my text. Now, when he says the synagogue of Satan, it's a, a, a satirical reference to the assembly of the Jews in Philadelphia who claimed to belong to the synagogue of the Lord, listen, but were bitter persecutors of Christians. He says, no, 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 I'm going to humble your enemies. That's the first thing. And then look at verse 10. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. What did he say there? Number two, he's going to keep us. He's going to keep them from tribulation. Okay. Those who are faithful those who keep his command to persevere. Okay? So, here's what we see. Now, listen. Listen, we know that the great tribulation is coming. But that does not mean that you and I may not go through through tribulation before that. We, we don't know, um, based on what I've seen in our country and what's coming down the pipeline, um, man, this this right here, this could go away. This could go away because of the persecution that the believer is going to have. And I feel, guys, I feel like we need to be like David. Thy word I have hidden my, hidden my, your word I've hidden my heart, Lord. We need to memorize scripture because we don't know what's coming down in these next four years. But my encouragement to you is have your foundation solid. Okay? He's going to keep us from tribulation, but that doesn't mean that we're not going to go through some, some opposition and, 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 you know, and some, some, maybe some local tribulation. I, I don't know, but I know he says this, because Philadelphia, you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Okay? Look at verse 13. Behold, he says, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have uh, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write his name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes out out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my New name. Number three, you can jot this down. It's pillars. Did you see that? He's going to, I will make him a pillar, right? A pillar is, is, it's not to be shaken. Why would he say a pillar? Well, your mind quickly went back to the city of Philadelphia, which was the, the central point for, for earthquakes. Okay. And so you go, Oh, I remember the city and, and I remember the earthquakes. Yeah. But you also said that, that, that city was often changing his name. Oh, so everybody in Philadelphia went, I see what the Lord is saying. 
I see what the Lord is saying. We need to be a pillar. Now, spiritually speaking, in our lives, I want to be that pillar. Because there's going to be earthquakes in my life. Well, not, not in Lubbock, Texas, if you will. You, you understand. But there's going to be spiritual earthquakes that I need my foundation solid. And I want him. I want his name, my new name. And that's what I'm looking forward to. The Church of Philadelphia, guys. The Church of Philadelphia was a healthy, faithful, not perfect church. Made up of individuals just like you. Who finally came to the point and said, I'm going to follow Jesus at all costs. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to surrender my life to him once and for all. I know the world calls us. I know the world looks beautiful and it's got lights and it's got, hey, hey, come and have fun. Listen, but listen, there's nothing more rewarding than to surrender your life to Jesus. And so my question as we close, my question is, are you a healthy believer? Are you a healthy believer? Now, if you're not sure about your spiritual health, it may take, it may be a time to take a lesson from the church of brotherly love. Philadelphia lived under the authority and the authentic Jesus Christ who is revealed in the word of God. Well, Ben, how do I know if I'm healthy? How do I know if I, well, give yourself this test. You ready? Um, who do you say Jesus is? Well, I say he is the son of God. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I say, why do you say that? Because I really believe that. Exactly. Okay? And you behave what you believe. So if you really believe it, then we need to start behaving what we believe. Who do you say Jesus is? Number two, is it time for spiritual revival? I sit here and I smile because... I'll never forget when I got saved, man, it was, it, that's all I wanted to do. I just, I would carry my big Bible. I would, I, it was just revival. It was just go out and, and, um, and, and this is what I, I used to, it's silly, it's silly now, but I used to sleep with the, with the Bible under my pillow, not that the words would somehow get in my brain, but I just, I just knew that the word of God was close. I just got saved. That's all I did. And, um, man, it, it was the Bible. And, uh, is it time for spiritual revival? And you go, yeah, it is. Yeah, ask yourself this question, number three. Are you looking for the perfect opportunities? Are you looking for those opportunities? No, you know what? It's it's cold outside and we're just so angry. No, are we looking for opportunities and 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 are sensitive to God's Holy Spirit that He wants us to share? I say that with all honesty because there there are times that that I have I have messaged people and said, "Listen, it's time to come back to church. It's time it's time you come back. I haven't seen you, and 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 I know that because of the signs of the times. Uh, and I know that I'm, there's an urgency and and that we need to be a family again. Are you looking for opportunities? Because guys, there are so many people who are lying in hospital beds and they have no church family and they have, they have nobody and, um, they're lonely and they're broken and, and, and they might have been, they might have been a, 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 a coworker of yours. 
and you're looking for that. Uh, Let me ask you this. Do you have a certain future? Do you have a certain future? When all this is said and done, man, where where, where are you going to end up? You see, and I never want to leave a teaching, a time that we're together, whether it's online or in person, I never want to leave this opportunity without asking you if you're right with God. Because none of this matters if you're not right with God. You see, everything we talked about in opportunities, and you're just like, yeah. But that's the first thing. And see, what's happening in your heart right now is, man, you're feeling something in your heart that you've never felt before, and you're going, man, you know what? I don't know if I am right with God. You know, Pastor, you were saying, you were saying some things there, and actually what it revealed to me is that I don't have a relationship with God. And if the Lord Jesus came today, I don't, I don't think I would. Listen, I'm crossing my fingers that I would go, but I don't know if I really do. I'm hoping that based upon my works that I'm a good person and that I don't, uh, I don't murder anybody. I haven't stolen it, you know. I mean, I'm hoping. But see, that doesn't get us into heaven. It's a relationship with Jesus. He says in the book of Romans that if you'll open up your heart and invite him inside, and, and if you believe and confess, you'll be saved. You'll be saved. And I know what you're thinking. You're probably watching here, wherever you are. Maybe you clicked on this, and you're saying, man, listen, Pastor, I feel like I'm a million miles away from him. I feel like I'm a million miles away, and I don't even feel close to him anymore. Well, there's two things. Number one, you need to come back to Jesus. Number two, if you have ever accepted him, but you still feel like you're a million miles away, he's, he's bidding you to come home. He's bidding you to come home. You see, you may feel like you're a million miles away, but you're one decision from coming back to him. And all you have to do is get on your knees right now and pray. Just pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Believe with all of your heart, man. Say, Lord, what I'm feeling is this salvation. Do I need to, re- do I need to repent? Do I need to come back to you? And I'm going to lead you in a prayer here in just a second. And I can't see you. I don't know what God is doing on the other side of this, of this live stream. I don't know. But I know that God moves in such an amazing way. So if you'll take a moment to bow your heads and pray with me, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our teaching tonight. I thank you for the Church of Philadelphia. How amazing. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, let the text read us so we can grow and be more like you. Lord, that we would be faithful individuals under the authority of who you are. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, Lord, I don't know who's out there watching, but I would pray, God, Lord, that if, that if you're speaking to them, that, Lord, they would surrender their lives to Jesus right now. And they would pray something similar to this. doesn't have to be exact, but they would say in their own words that, Lord Jesus, that they would confess, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And after, Lord, the Holy Spirit touching my heart, listening to the message, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he is the only Messiah. And I believe that he was buried and on the third day rose again. And I believe he's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for me right now. I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe that he's going to come back one day, Lord, just like he says. But I want to be saved, so I need to confess my sins and I need to repent. And so, Lord Jesus, I confess that you are God. I believe, and I'm asking you now to do a work in my heart, to transform me from the inside out. Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart, take control, all of it. Lord, start cleaning it up. 
Because tonight, tonight I surrender to you. I completely lift up my hands. I completely, they're yours, Lord. My life is yours. So I'm asking you, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my Savior. Lord, would you be my friend? I could sure use a friend in this day and age. I choose to follow you, Jesus, for forever I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, would you do me a favor? Just just jot it down in the comments real quick. You can say, hey, I prayed that prayer. I just want to connect with you. I want to get you a Bible, a Bible study guide. Um, um, it, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll view this later on. And uh, listen, if you don't want to click on the comments, you can call us, man. 799-2227-806-799-222. Just drop us a, a, a line real quick. We'll get you a Bible. We'll get you a Bible study guide. We'll be happy to pray with you. We love you. It's the best decision of your life. And know this. That if you surrendered your life tonight, if you repented, if you said yes to Jesus, there's a party in heaven right now. The angels are going nuts because they see one sinner repented. And that's just, that's you. And God loves you so much and you're starting your brand new journey. So with that church, we love you. We love you. Stay safe. Um, those of you watching in Lubbock, be careful. It's supposed to be cold on Sunday. Hopefully no moisture or, or there'll be any ice, but we'll be here at 10 o'clock. And uh, we're going to be looking at, are we living in the last days? Next week, guys, we're going to see the Church of Laodicea. Ugh, that's an interesting church. Anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you on Sunday. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.